You're listening to Comedy Central. June 28, 2018. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Lives Matter activist and author as well. Donnell Moore is joining us, everybody. He's a really inspiring young man here to talk about his compelling new memoir, No Ashes in the Fire. It's a fascinating book about growing up black and queer in America. Beautiful story. We're gonna talk about that later. But first, the Supreme Court. Yesterday, we got a major announcement that has left America in shock. The new summer robes are in and they are crop tops, people. (laughs) The other news, the other news, was that Justice Kennedy announced his resignation, which is an even bigger deal. The landscape of American justice is shifting dramatically tonight on news that 81-year-old Supreme Court Justice Anthony Kennedy is retiring. And now, for the second time in his presidency, Donald Trump is poised to exercise one of a president's most consequential powers, nominating the court's next justice. So we have a pick to come up. We have to pick a great one. We have to pick one that's gonna be there for 40 years, 45 years. God damn, this is so crazy. Like you realize, regardless of what happens in his presidency now, Donald Trump will leave a mark on this country for decades to come. Yeah. It's like, it's not gonna go away. It's like he's giving America judicial herpes. You realize his court picks will be around for so long that they'll be ruling on major legal questions way into the future, like whether or not Elon Musk can marry his robot slaves. Like, we, <laughs> we don't know where it's gonna go. And I, here's the thing, I can handle the idea of Donald Trump being president for a few years. What blows my mind, though, is that he will be able to fundamentally reshape America for generations. Donald Trump is gonna shape America, this guy. And I'd look her right in that fat, ugly face of hers. I'd say, Rosie, you're fired. The power to redefine what America is. This guy. Bing, bing, bong, bong, bing, bing, bing. (laughs) Seriously? This guy? Trump steaks are by far the best tasting, most flavorful beef you've ever had. Out of all the people it could have been, it's this guy? I've said that if Ivanka weren't my daughter, perhaps I'd be dating her. (laughs) Hey, you never know with the new Supreme Court, that shit could be legal. You never know. Yeah. That's what you work for. You never know. He's there like, that's what I've been working for, folks. I've been really trying, baby. (laughs) Trying to hold back these feelings for so long. (laughs) Anyway. Anyway, a Supreme Court judge stepping aside is never a small thing. But this one could have especially far-reaching consequences because while Anthony Kennedy was generally conservative, one of the notable things that he did was consistently protect Roe v. Wade, AKA a woman's right to choose, which makes this the moment that the anti-abortion movement has been waiting for. 
A Kennedy departure could also put abortion rights in doubt. He has consistently supported the basic holding of Roe v. Wade. A Trump nominee would probably oppose it. Well, Roe v. Wade is really the Dred Scott decision of the 20th century. I think you're going to see that overturned. We have a chance to take down Roe v. Wade. This is a historic moment in the pro-life community today. That's right. After Justice Kennedy is replaced, there's a good chance that many states will make abortion illegal. And for many evangelicals, that has been the holy grail, right? It's why many Christians have supported to continue Donald Trump, even though he sins so much that people cast him out of demons. Just like, be gone, Trump! Oh, oh, thank you, I, I felt so gross, oh, oh. I mean, your own daughter? Oh, oh, wow. Oh, and, and you, might, you might be really sad that women will be losing some of their fundamental rights, but the media is licking its lips. On Capitol Hill, the battle lines drawn. A huge battle in Washington over replacing Supreme Court Justice Anthony Kennedy. This will be a battle all summer, all fall. It will be one of the most contentious political battles in decades. Okay, I'm sorry, but like what battle are we talking about here? I understand that these guys are trying to drum up ratings, but it's not true. Republicans control the Senate, okay? The Democrats have no power and no way to stop them from confirming Trump's Supreme Court pick. Like, the media is hyping this up like it's a heavyweight fight, but this is more like a fight between Floyd Mayweather and a baby, you know? It's like, and in the blue corner, weighing in at seven pounds and cranky after missing his nap, it's Timmy! <laughs> Why is he crying? Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Why is he crying? Oh, okay, he got punched in the face, that's why. This app is really useful. Because look, the cold hard facts are, Democrats only have 49 Senate votes. And while that's enough to vote for Pizza Fridays, it's not enough to stop a Supreme Court pick. You need at least 51 for that. So the question is, what, if anything, is the Democrats' next move? For more on that, we're joined by our senior political optimist, Hassan Minaj, everybody. <laughs> you have to admit, man, this, this is a difficult moment for the Democrats because clearly there's nothing they can do, right? Wrong, Trevor. If you have ever watched The Mighty Ducks, you know <laughs> that this is the part of the movie where they get the pep talk from Emilio Estevez and then they come back with a power move to win it all. Quack, 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 Oh, Hassan, this is not a movie. The Democrats can't do anything because they have no power. Well, that depends on how you define power, Trevor. If you define power as power, then no. <laughs> but if you define power as complaining about the people with power, then Democrats have all the power. Quack, 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 No, quack, stop, quack, stop, quack, yo, quack, stop quack, quacking. Quack, yeah, quack, stop, stop quacking, they Hassan. They want to come back. No. Look, I know you're trying to be hopeful, but the truth is it comes down to numbers, and the Democrats simply don't have the votes to block Trump's nomination. Why are you being so negative, dude? Maybe they can't block the nomination, but they can block the office printer. You take out the regular paper, you put in some tinfoil, boom, now it's jammed. You can't vote without paper. So what, that buys the Democrats, what, 15 minutes? Hassan, be realistic, it's over. Like, maybe if they were still able to filibuster, they could slow it down, but that's also gone. Maybe they can't filibuster the nominee, but you know what they can filibuster? The lunch line. Stay with me. No, stay with me. 
they'll slow it down. Mitch McConnell can't get his applesauce. Blood sugar crashes. Turtle Man can't vote if he's napping in his office. Hassan, Hassan I'm, all, I'm all for optimism, but I don't get fighting for something that you can't change. I'll tell you what the Democrats can change, Trevor. The Wi-Fi password. That's it, it's the Wi-Fi password. <laughs> Just make it, I love Ted Cruz. No one would guess that. And, and even if they did, who would want to type that? I felt gross just saying it, so that's gonna stop the entire thing. You know what, I admire your optimism, but that's not gonna help. Hassan Minaj, everybody! No, 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 I have more ideas. We could do time travel. Welcome back to the Daily Show. So, it's Pride Month, right? Which, which America has been celebrating with huge pride parades around the country from right here in New York all the way to Buford, Wyoming. Now, there, it was just two guys walking to CVS, but they were having a good time, so it counts as a parade. <laughs> but, but, yesterday's Supreme Court news has dimmed the celebration, because Justice Kennedy was the swing vote supporting gay rights, and there's widespread concern that Trump's next pick won't be, right? It's a harsh way to end Pride Month. You know, it's kind of like ending your birthday party with a cancer doctor popping out of a cake, like, surprise! <laughs> Happy last birthday to you! <laughs> And although... <laughs> you guys sound like you were at the birthday for real. <laughs> and although many are worried about the future of LGBTQ rights, let's take a moment to celebrate how much progress has been made, and not just in America, but around the world. Taiwan will become the first Asian nation to legalize same-sex marriage. History tonight down under, Australia's parliament has voted to legalize gay marriage. Germany's parliament voted to legalize same-sex marriage in a historic vote. Bermuda has now legalized same-sex marriage for a second time. The island's Supreme Court overturned a gay marriage ban that was signed into law just four months ago. The Supreme Court first legalized same-sex marriage last May. Then in February, Bermuda became the first national territory in the world to repeal its gay marriage legislation. Yeah, that's right. Bermuda legalized same-sex marriage twice. Yeah. And I know that seems weird, but that's just how legislation works in Bermuda. You see, what happens is you pass it in Parliament, and then it goes to the triangle where it's lost. <laughs> then a deep-sea diver finds it and takes it back to Parliament. just marriage equality. Around the world, LGBTQ rights are moving forward in different ways. Pakistan passed transgender rights. Botswana's high court recognized the trans woman's identity for the first time. And all of Georgia is now gay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't even... Play. Those queer eye guys do not mess around. And even though, and even though the Trump administration has eroded LGBTQ rights by rolling back anti-discrimination laws and banning trans people from the military, they're gonna find it a lot harder to reverse the public's views on gay rights. The most recent ABC News poll found that 81% of Americans said companies should not be allowed to refuse service to gays and lesbians. 67% now say the same-sex marriages should be legal. That's the highest we've ever seen. This is one of the most remarkable changes that we have seen in our history. As the country heads toward midterm elections this fall, some history is being made. An unprecedented number of candidates who are openly lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender are running for office. That's an incredible story. It's incredible all around, right? <laughs> Think of how perceptions have shifted. And it wasn't easy. Don't ever forget, it wasn't easy. It took marches, 
It took protests, it took lawsuits, and two different will and graces <laughs> to get America here. But it got here all the same. So, happy Pride Month, everyone. We'll be right back. tonight is a writer and activist whose new memoir is called No Ashes in the Fire, Coming of Age, Black and Free in America. Please welcome Donnell Moore. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me here. Uh, I have read uh, a lot of your writing. I have, you know, followed some of the pieces that you've written online. Many people consider you one of the most important voices uh, in, in young American black culture and American culture as a whole. Those are your friends, <laughs> but they're good people. Um, <laughs> the book, though, gave me an insight into your life and into a life that many people have lived in America that's really painful and fascinating. No Ashes in the Fire speaks to the first inciting incident in this book where someone tried to set you on fire as a child. Now, luckily, that didn't happen. Could you, could you just share that story that gets us into the book? Yeah, so I was 14, and a group of neighborhood kids, um, people I would consider um, folk who had been friends at some point, jumped me. I used to get pick picked on a lot because of my gender presentation. Um, and in this particular incident, um, after they jumped me, they tried to light a match um, after dousing me with a gallon of gasoline. But the, the fire, the flame did not light, the wind sort of took it out. Um, but here's what I want to say about that story. It is a tragic story and it's one that's common. Right. Um, I don't want to turn this into like an exceptional story. That's something that I went through individually. Young people across the country, around the world, who uh, experience themselves as, as different um, are often picked on. And I was picked on a lot. Um, but here's the thing, like, punishment is not what I imagine as the route for transformation for those young people. By the time I finished the book, I was searching online, wanting to make sure that the brother that tried to do that was alive, was well, was not in jail, because cages can't transform hearts and minds. Prisons can't do that. Um, so I am hoping that whoever, wherever they are, that they can be in the type of space where they're imagining a world where everybody can be free, everybody right. can be who they are. It's interesting that you have such a powerful worldview, one that is filled with so much compassion, considering that as a gay black person in America, you have faced at many times the utmost persecution. When you look at the journey that gay black people face in particular, you know, the, you know, the, the history of queer rights in America is one that is not hidden and then black rights is compounded on top of that. Do you think that makes the experience like, unique and even more powerful? Well, it's so I'll start by saying um, James Baldwin, when asked this question sometime, like, how do, you, you know, how do you feel about being black and gay? It's like, wonderful. <laughs> 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 I mean, shit, right? <laughs> in many ways, I am who I am because of my experience of growing up in the world as a black queer person. Like, queerness is magic. It's not poison. Like this, it feels good to be free, to be who you are, to right. be in your skin and name that. But that is also, I think you're, you know, it's important to note that it, you know, to be black and queer or black and trans or black and gender non-conforming, you're facing multiple issues at once, multiple arrows coming your way. Mm -hmm. Which is why when we talk about LGBT progress um, and only weigh that progress with regards to um, rights that are impacting some, like, if you're black and queer, you're not only facing homophobia or antagonism because you're a trans person right. or gender nonconform, you're facing racism. 
And if you're poor, you're going to face all of the, all that comes along with being economically disenfranchised. Right. And if you're a young person, you're going to face all that comes along with that. In New York City alone, most of the homeless folk that the young people that live on the streets, about 40 percent of them are LGBTQ. Um, so but when we talk about LGBT progress, we don't think about these these particular lies. And I right, think that right, that's right. important for us to talk about. It, it, it's something that you cover in the book. And what, what I love is the book is really three parts. I mean, it is your memoir. It takes us through your life. But at the same time, you give us the context as to why so many of these situations came to be. You also give us a, a snapshot of America as it stands right now. When you look at the black community, in America and in South Africa and many parts of Africa, it's, it's not dissimilar. Sure. Where you have people who seem progressive in many different ways, but when it comes to homosexuality, there seems to be this roadblock. You know, in hip-hop, that's one of the biggest dilemmas, is the space of people going, like, we're trying to be ahead of the curve of woke or whatever, and it's like, but there's still that, that whole, like, are you gay, are you gay? How do you think you begin that conversation? Where do you think people start, especially young black people? Well, first, you know, we live within a context where, you know, I don't, I don't make the claim that black folk are more homophobic. You know, this is America. Right. I mean, that's the Donald Glover song, but, right, right. <laughs> but this is America, you know what I'm saying? Like, um... In so many ways, we have a country that is, in just its recent history, um, have begun to overturn drac draconian laws right. with regards to LGBT people. And America liked to tell, to tell itself as the most progressive country um, in the world. We have a lot of work to do in this country, not just with regards to understanding um, how expansive sexuality is and queerness, but look, if we can't even talk about gender, manhood and masculinity as a cage for some folk, right? If we can't talk about the problems that, that gender presents us, that the fact that we tell little boys to be real men, like, let them be kids first. Um, we're, we're definitely not gonna be at a point where we can rethink um, sexuality. Right. So I think we have work to do. So here's the thing, like, what would it mean for us to abolish, to get rid of all of these boxes altogether that for some folk are cages? They, these are, cages cannot be routes to freedom. Cages are not doorways to freedom. So we got to get free. We got to let some of these ideas go. Right. And when you, when you look at Pride Month and the celebration around being queer, you know, there is that constant idea of we can celebrate. Uh, we can celebrate the progress that we've made as people. But at the same time, there is a lot of work to be done. What do you think still needs to be done within the LGBTQ space? We definitely need time for celebration. I mean, I kind of wear this shirt, like, <laughs> with all the ripples on it so we right, can celebrate. Right. Um, because, you know, we, we need space to, to honor and to celebrate difference, too. Um, but we have to not be committed to all of the ideas and norms that have been cages for so many people that have not brought freedom. Mm -hmm. um, and let me tell you how I know that's just not a problem for black folk. We have a person in the White House who is lifted up and celebrated, particularly because he performs a thuggish masculinity that if performed by anyone who was not a white man, would be called a thug or in jail, but this one gets elected president because of America's attraction to a type of toxic masculinity, which is another way of them thinking about men in power. And look, now we got a president that so many people voted for, even women, a big block, a big voting block was 53% white women. So this is telling me that society has to let go of our deep, 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 deep desire, attraction to the toxicity that is masculinity in the ways that we're seeing it now, running in the White House, and any other ways in which we are asking of people to perform in our everyday life. Like, get rid of that. Get rid of that, man. <laughs> so excited to have you on the show, man. It's an amazing book. No Ashes in the Fire, I could not recommend it more. It's available now. Donnell Moore, everybody.
The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.